Bookstuck with Richard Aldous, the Books and Ideas podcast brought to you by AmericanPurpose.com. Don't forget to check our website for all the latest commentary and analysis. You'll find details there of our online events, including on June the 22nd, Elliot Cohen on Seeing the Russian Military Clearly. And it's where you will also find details of our new membership model. Simply go to AmericanPurpose.com forward slash join. Coming up on the show today, Lev Menand, Columbia professor, former advisor to the Deputy Secretary of the Treasury and author of the new book, The Fed Unbound, Central Banking in a Time of Crisis. Uh, Lev, welcome to Bookstack. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on the book. I guess the fact that the Fed announced a three quarters of a percentage point rate hike yesterday might justify the title and the subtitle of the book. Yes, perhaps. So, uh, I mean, essentially, the argument of the book is that that the the Fed uh, is doing things that when it was founded uh, just over a century ago, uh, we couldn't possibly have imagined. Yeah, that's right. And and, and, and not just over a century ago, uh, you know, the, the law was updated many times since 1913. It was updated uh, uh uh, pretty substantially in 1935 in response to the Great Depression. And then it was updated again in 1977 in response to the economic turmoil um, and high rates of inflation and unemployment uh, America experienced in the 1970s. And it was in that in that 1977 update that we got the, the, the Fed's mandate added to the statute in Section 2A, uh, the language that people are familiar with, maximum employment, price stability, uh, and so, uh, really, the the sort of the whole statutory framework as it exists today is predicated on a certain understanding of what the Fed's job is and what the Fed has the tools to do. Uh, that in the last fifteen years, there's been a pretty big divergence from that. Yeah, as as you make clear in the book, it really has been quite a fifteen years for the Fed since two thousand and seven. First, it had to stop the wheels coming off the financial system during the crash. Then it had to deal with the pandemic. Now it's trying to combat inflation, uh, possibly a bear market, global stagflation, uh, maybe worse. Precisely, and and so you know the the the, the book subtitle, central banking in a time of crisis. The crisis is. Is I really date that to 2007 and, and thereafter, and a lot of the problems that the Fed has been dealing with, uh, I argue in the book, are, are interrelated and interconnected and have to do with monetary liberalization and deregulation of the financial system uh, over the prior several decades and the sort of fragility that has baked into the economy and the, and the financial system that we're now living with. I mean, before we get on to those uh, 15 years, I mean, to, to what extent do you think even in 2007, 2008, the, the Fed was actually cleaning up its own mess, that uh, policy had just simply been too loose in the years leading up to the crash? So the Fed was certainly cleaning up its own mess in 2008, but not in the sense that um, interest rates had been too low. That may be true, but in the book, what I'm interested in, in, in showing is that in the sense that over the previous several decades, the Fed had facilitated the sort of risk taking on Wall Street that then blew up. Um, and so uh, whether or not the Greenspan Fed should have hiked earlier in the early 2000s, 
the real problems that we saw in 2008 were not that loose monetary policy in the early 2000s, but the loose regulatory policy throughout the 90s um, that really dates back um, to 70s and 80s when Fed officials made the decision to facilitate the emergence of under-regulated firms like Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns and allow them to grow so large. So when those firms ran aground um, and the Fed moved to intervene, it was in, in, in that sense really much the, the chickens coming home to roost, uh, as we say, uh, for the Fed. Yeah, what's one of the things that's so interesting about this book is that uh, a lot of it is the the history of what's gone on, uh, particularly in in the in that period uh, since two thousand and seven. But 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 there's there's also an, a, a, a polemical element in many ways to the book that you know essentially you're concerned with the broader implications that the Fed is increasingly intervening in more and more aspects of financial, economic, and political life. And so I guess the question is, has it become too powerful? Yeah, I think that we tend to look at the Fed, especially in the financial press and in, 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 the, in the mainstream press as well, in the weeds. We take an in the weeds approach. We, we look in, in a very narrow context at what the Fed is doing. The Fed is raising interest rates. The Fed is lowering interest rates. The Fed is setting up some facilities. Uh, it all seems technocratic and, and ho-hum in a certain respect. And part of what I'm trying to do in the book is to zoom out and try to say, what does it mean that we have um, an economic and financial system? What does it mean that we have a society in which this organization is being called on to do these things? What, why, are these, why is this organization being called on to do these things? And what does it mean for big questions like the distribution of wealth and power and, um, and the stability of uh, of the economy over time. And the, the, the book focuses mostly on the Fed and, and the American experience. But you, you do point out this is not just an American phenomenon. Central banks in Europe and Japan have been, sim have been treading a, a similar path. Yeah, I think it's critical to recognize that. And it, it, it's because the project of monetary liberalization of deregulating uh, banking systems was an international project that was undertaken in the uh, in the last 50 years, and um, the emergence of what is sometimes called the global dollar system um, implicates not just the U.S., but other countries that had financial institutions have started to issue dollar-denominated deposits. Europe um, um, was particularly um, uh, significant in this regard. So we, when you get to the 2008 crisis, it's a crisis of the whole global dollar system, and many other countries uh, are implicated, and many European countries had, had their financial institutions were running a U.S. dollar banking business. They they were basically U.S. banks located offshore that were not regulated by U.S. banking authorities, and um, uh, the results were devastating for for European uh, banks and financial institutions, and have led um, central banks in other areas, so the ECB in the case of Europe to take many of the sorts of measures that the Fed has taken to deal with a very similar sort of problem. I wondered, I mean, how integrated is the system with, within the United States back in the 60s? Douglas Dillon had the quad with him as Treasury Secretary, the, the, the chairman of the Fed, the budget director, the, uh, the chair of the Council of Economic Advisors, and they worked really closely together on these things. Is that kind of thing still, still the case? So... 
U.S. policymakers still work closely together. Um, in fact, there are uh, there are now more institutional structures to facilitate that. One of the responses to the 2008 financial crisis was the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, which created the Financial Stability Oversight Council, which is chaired by the U.S. Treasury Secretary and um, includes the chair of the Federal Reserve Board and the other major financial regulators, and they meet and discuss issues. So there's there's sort of more formalized mechanisms now for coordination than there than there even were then. Um, at the same time, the U.S. Uh, financial and regulatory system is quite fragmented compared to many other countries. Um, you know, we have three federal banking agencies. We have two market regulators. Um, primary and there and then there are multiple sort of special purpose sort of financial entities uh, like the uh, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac which have their own regulator uh, credit unions which have their own federal regulator and and we also have a sort of dual what's called a dual banking system which means that the federal government permits states to charter banks and uh, state banks have their own regulators. And so there's a lot of fragmentation in the US monetary system and in US governance around finance generally um, um, compared to other countries where the finance minister um, tends to, the buck stops there and everything sort of rolls up into the finance ministry. Um, uh, that's, not the, that's not the case here and um, is, is partly responsible for some of the dysfunction that the US has experienced over the decades. Uh, because coordination is quite difficult. Is is that one of the reasons why the Fed seems to be reactive? You have you have a um, a great image for this that uh, you say that that the Fed essentially is always administering medicine to an ailing system. So when something goes wrong, uh, the Fed is is giving us our dose of medicine. But again, one of the arguments in the book is that you're arguing that the Fed really should be creating something more robust. Maybe should be more uh, proactive. So. The way I like to describe the Fed is as having a limited purpose, which is to administer the banking system. And so the US uh, economy is based on two types of money. Physical cash, which is used for small transactions, mostly by individuals, and bank deposits, which is used by um, most businesses and most individuals for large transactions. And Bank deposits are not equivalent to physical cash. Banks don't hold physical cash to back those deposits. You should really think of your bank deposits as money issued by your bank, as opposed to money issued by the government. You're able to treat the two things as equivalent because of a whole system of regulation and government backstopping that the government has set up. And so the banks are really operating as part of an outsourcing scheme. Um, they are franchisees. The government is the franchisor. And the Federal Reserve is the sort of chief franchisor, and its job is to make sure that the franchisees are carrying out their functions, they're creating the right amount of deposit money, because that's where all the elasticity is in the system. And so when the Fed hiked interest rates yesterday by 75 basis points, what it's doing is trying to make it harder for banks to create more deposits by lending. It increases the hurdle rate, it constrains the expansion of bank balance sheets, 
and so therefore reduces the overall money supply and the rate of growth of the money supply. And so the Fed's the Fed, in order to be effective, it's dependent on the underlying system of banking uh, that it is administering. And so if those banks fail or they, they're ailing, then it can't carry out its, its mission. It, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't act by, uh, on its own. It can't, it can't achieve anything on its own. It's, it's, it's a supervisor. It's a franchisor. And it's that uh, interconnection between the Fed and, and the banking system that, um, that has gone so wrong in the last uh, several decades and that has created, a, um, I think, suboptimal economic policy in this country. Yeah, you, you say in the introduction that, that in many ways the central bank would like to return to the status quo ante before the 2008 crisis. Um, and I think you have some sympathy uh, with, with that view. But, but also it's clear as, as the book goes along that, that that era is just lost to us, that uh, effectively there has to be a new status quo for, for these very different times. Yeah, my ultimate conclusion in this chapter is that the experiment of monetary liberalization, where um, the business of issuing deposit instruments and their equivalents, the business of issuing um, cash equivalents by financial firms, um, the, 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 the era of monetary liberalization, where that was allowed to spread beyond the banking system, outside of bank regulation, all, all, all over Wall Street, and then also internationally, uh, where, where financial firms that weren't regulated by US regulators, didn't have a relationship to the Federal Reserve directly, got into the business of, of issuing US dollar deposits and basically operating US, uh, US bank abroad. That whole project of monetary liberalization fundamentally um, is unstable. Um, and create the dynamic where the public acting through the central bank has to backstop and socialize losses that the system might sustain, that private actors might sustain, um, and doesn't have the tools during the boom times, during the good times, to constrain speculation, to constrain asset bubbles. And so what you end up with is um, uh, the opposite of of, of, of the great moderation, which we've been experiencing over the last 15 years, which is sort of like turmoil of a certain sort and, uh, and stagnant economic growth and, and, and insufficient investment in long-term productive projects. And what we need instead is to restructure the system to be, to be more stable, to give the public um, more control over risk-taking uh, in the monetary system, not in the financial system generally, but in the part of the system that's issuing cash equivalents, um, because that's the part that the government is going to ultimately have to stand behind. And it's just unsustainable to have the arrangement we have now where the government stands behind the system but can't can't control its risk taking effectively in advance. And that, I mean, that question of control and, and public oversight is a fascinating one. I mean, the, 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 when you're talking about the 2008 financial crisis, for example, you show how the Fed moves into new territory, lending vast sums of money to financial institutions to prevent the economic meltdown. Uh, you cite the figure of half a trillion dollars, which is lent to uh, foreign central banks, for example, uh, 
uh, to prop up the international system, but that, as as you point out, most of this was done without recourse to either Congress or to the White House. This is this was primarily the the Fed um, acting on its own recognizance. That's right, and um, uh, the the dramatic expansion of the Fed's balance sheet has had an effect on American politics because it's revealed this new player that has the ability to to disperse funds, to take action uh, using money. Uh, and, and so Congress isn't the only game in town now for that. And 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 the Fed, the Fed can the Fed can offer AIG a bailout, right? Um, uh, and it, since it has a printing press, it 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 doesn't have a budgetary limit on what it can offer. And that that realization that American policymakers had starting in 2008 uh, uh, changed the Fed and also changed, I think, Congress and its ability and willingness to take certain sorts of actions. Um, and so I'm concerned about the longer term implications of increasingly relying on the central bank to do things that we previously would have relied on Congress to do, because the central bank has only a certain sort of tools and when, so, certain type of tools, and it's likely to benefit when it's taking actions, a certain sort of actor. And, um, uh, you know, that's the financial sector, that's asset owners, and that's not a recipe for, uh, for a healthy economy uh, where, um, uh, you know, uh, inequality is is moderating rather than than getting worse over time. Yeah, and this is where the the title of the book comes from. That the Federal Reserve, you say, has come uh, unbound. It's doing things for which it was not designed. Um, that I mean, is it going too far to say that it is in effect becoming something close to a uh, almost a fourth branch of government? Well, the reason I wouldn't use that particular phrase is that. It, it's not it's not part of our fundamental law. It's not in the Constitution. The Constitution lays out three sorts, three branches, uh, and the Fed is subject to all three branches. You know, in theory, you know, it, it, it's a creation of the Congress. Um, it its leaders can be removed for cause by the president, and it is subject to judicial review. However, um, because of uh, the way the Federal Reserve Act statute is written, in practice, the Federal Reserve is subject to very little judicial review, unlike many other administrative agencies. It's also subject to relatively little executive and legislative ongoing oversight. And it, since it has the sort of its own balance sheet, <laughs> it is unusually uh, powerful when compared to other instrumentalities of, of the government that Congress has created. Um, and uh, and so while it's not exactly a fourth branch in the sense that uh, it's on equal footing with any of those other three branches, it's able to operate with um, much less uh, 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 with much less oversight by the other three branches when compared to the the many, many, many other, um, you know, governance bodies that the Congress has created uh, over the course of the country's history. Yeah, I, I suppose the problem is that if we say that Congress needs to take a stronger role in, in shaping macroeconomic policy, 
The problem is that that would be giving more power to a branch of government that is itself seems to be uh, in crisis and is often paralysed by inaction. And if you think about the crisis that we're in right now uh, with inflation and uh, and so on, uh, I, I, I wonder who, who do you think is probably better positioned to take the lead on something like this, uh, the Fed or Congress? So I think this is, you're asking, that's the, that's the, the money question. Um, uh, let me just say one thing in response to your previous question that just occurred to me. The ECB is much more like a fourth branch because it has a constitutional status. It exists um, by treaty separate from the other European governing institutions. And so it's much more, uh, it's, its power is even greater in some sense than, than the Federal Reserve's powers. It's a good uh, comparison point for thinking about what the Fed's institutional status is. Um, so Fed or Congress, um, I think we have a bit of a vicious cycle where the Fed has taken steps that uh, uh, get Congress off the hook in, to sol you know, from solving certain problems. And um, that leads Congress to do less, which raises calls for the Fed to do more. And then the Fed does more and Congress does even less. Uh, and that's sort of that's 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 the history post 2008 in many respects. Um, uh, there's there's a bit of a, a slide, and so you know the Fed is part of the story of congressional dysfunction. That being said, it's not the entire story, and um, there are there are many circumstances where probably um, considering all the factors, and I, I think I say this in the book, you know. We need the Fed to take action, even if it would be better for Congress to take action, because we simply can't afford to let uh, the monetary system deteriorate the way it did during the Great Depression, um, and uh, and 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 end up with a depression. And so, um, you know, when it comes down to it, certain problems have to be addressed, uh, even if the even if the organizations stepping up to address them aren't um, optimally designed or the you know the first best. To, to take on the task. Um, but then the rest of us need to sit down and identify that as a problem that we're going to try to work on. And so part of the point of the book is to say, uh, sure, uh, it, was, it was critical that the Fed supported financial markets in 2020, but we can't continue to accept an economy in which um, that's a role that the Fed continues to have to play in this way. Um, and a healthier economic system would involve other actors engaged in macroeconomic stabilization. Um, Congress, but also other bodies that Congress might create um, to carry out certain sorts of policies that right now the Fed is doing too much and that means it's operating suboptimally. Um, and I'm, not, you know, I'm under no illusions that we're about to um, implement some new legal framework that will fix these problems. But if we don't start thinking about that and talking about it and organizing around it, then you know the problems will only ever get worse, and um, so the so the book is a the book is a uh, uh, an initial effort in a direction uh, that you know w while understanding that uh, uh, you know we're not about to solve everything. 
Yeah, I mean, to to fix central banking, you say at the at the end of the book, Congress should address the root of the problem. It should put the monetary system on a firmer public footing. It should also do more directly to tackle recessions, inflation, and develop a wider range of macroeconomic tools so that other parts of the government can contribute. Uh, I guess the question is, how do we actually create that kind of healthier mix? Yeah, so, you know... <laughs> Getting the votes is a hard problem, um, and uh, there are the, the U.S. U.S. society, American society, is facing a number of really significant challenges that um, its political institutions, its governing institutions, have um, failed pretty horrendously at addressing. And so, this book is about uh, monetary financial challenges that affect the economy but you could write a whole book about the failure of our governing institutions to address gun violence or climate change and pollution um, or um, you know, any number of other major, major issues. And we're experiencing, I think, connected to the, this, uh, an erosion of trust in our governing institutions, um, uh, uh, a sense of uh, increasing uh, uh, soft corruption amongst leaders, a lack of strong leadership, and um, uh, and all of this stuff is connected. And uh, you know, I don't I don't have a crystal ball or a great you know silver bullet for how to sort of um, uh, turn 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 things around. But what I would say is that the financial crisis itself in 2008 and the financial instability is playing into all of these problems. It's undermining trust in government and government capacity. And um, um, part of the solution to all of this is to raise awareness and, and get people motivated to try to, to, try to uh, solve, solve the problem. Um, in terms of specifically, you know, what, what should a solution look like to, uh, to the monetary and financial problems? Um, um, number one, we should have a simple principle that if you're engaged in money creation, if you're engaged in banking, if you issue bank deposits or anything that functions like a bank deposit, you are subject to the banking laws. If you're doing banking, you have to follow the banking laws. And so we need a functional application of the banking laws instead of a formalistic one. And so there shouldn't be any shadow banking. Uh, it undermines the whole scheme. It makes everything unworkable. Um, it's really an embarrassment to the banking laws. And that just has to be fixed. And we've had very good securities regulation, insurance regulation in the United States historically, because we do have um, a functional application of those laws. And so the, you know, the, the Congress has to adjust the law to ensure that there is no more shadow banking. I can get into more details about what might be done to the existing um, bank inactivity that's outside of the regulatory scheme. There are a variety of options for how to bring it under the umbrella, but we have to do that. 
And, you know, essentially, it seems to me that what you're trying to do is is to get the Federal Reserve back to a, a, perhaps a more traditional role where essentially its job is, is about making sure there's the right amount of money uh, in the system, whether it's pumping money into the system to stop the economy from shrinking uh, or taking it out to try and avoid, avoid inflation. Yeah, from about, you know, from from following the Second World War up until 2008, the Fed's balance sheet, its ability to print money, um, was of trivial importance to um, to its operations. It, it adjusted its balance sheet slightly up and down, very minor amounts. What it was trying to really do was regulate um, bank balance sheets uh, by adjusting an uh, interest rate that banks charge to each other uh, for uh, for reserves, which are account balances at the Federal Reserve that banks hold, and this is a very this is a very technocratic um, uh, 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 ministerial is the wrong word, but it's just ministerial in its operation. It's it's a it's a, it's a it's a, it's a difficult task because it's hard to decide when to loosen or when to tighten the constraints on on bank lending in the economy. Um, but it's contained, and it, and 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 along with the regulatory tools uh, that the Fed had over the banking system, the Fed didn't find itself in lots of emergencies where it would have to uh, increase its balance sheet a lot to, in order to lend a lot of money to banks. What happened um, in in the more recent period is the Fed has had to lend enormous amounts of money, it's had to use its balance sheet in all sorts of ways to stabilize a system that it doesn't have the right amount of control over ex ante. And we want to get back to a system that uh, that doesn't require that. Um, and that's a much more sustainable system. It's a much more equitable system. And uh, that requires sort of technical structural reform to the, to the banking and financial system, but really of the sort that were imposed during the New Deal, which were extremely successful in producing a very, very um, uh, strong economy for many decades and a stable economy and a, and a, and a, and a distributionally um, fair uh, economy. And uh, I think that uh, a sort of new New Deal style structural reform to the banking system is, is, a, is a critical step that hopefully we take um, voluntarily, uh, you know, before we hit another major crisis. And and finally, Lev, we couldn't have you on without asking about what's going on now. I mean, if you, if you were marking the homework uh, of the Fed in how they're responding to the crisis as it is right now, um, uh, how do you think they're doing? The Fed is in a very difficult position for two reasons. One, it is trying to reduce the rate of inflation when that inflation is only partly a product of, um, of excess credit creation by the financial system, partly a, partly a result of the sort of things that it can control. The major factors that have been driving inflation are energy prices, the war in Ukraine, supply chain problems, and just the dislocation, the dislocations that have been caused by the pandemic itself. And those, those shocks, the Fed doesn't have the tools to deal with those shocks, yet there's no um, other part of the government that is taking uh, significant steps to address them. And so the Fed is being sort of asked in some sense to do too much, to bring inflation all the way down to 2% at an annual rate 
when when in order to to actually achieve that rapidly it would have to it would have to over overuse its tools it, it would it would basically amputate a leg to to fix a broken bone or something and so the fed the fed is in a difficult position uh, because it, its tools are limited for the for the task it's trying to to manage the other problem that the fed faces is to the extent it does continue to rapidly tighten, it, it is increasing the chance of instability in, in our inherently unstable financial system. And we could well see in the coming months runs and panics of the sort we saw in March 2020 and uh, in the summer of 2007 and through, through the fall of 2008. Um, the Fed's job of tightening, uh, of tightening monetary policy to reduce inflationary pressures um, is, um, is going to be much more difficult uh, than I think is generally acknowledged uh, because it might well find itself all that not, not, not all that long from now setting up facilities to lend lots of money into Wall Street, uh, which will be uh, politically, I think, a very uncomfortable place to be um, and further underlines, I think, the, the need for reforms that just limit the amount that we rely on the Fed to handle all these problems. So the book is The Fed Unbound, Central Banking in a Time of Crisis. It's written by my guest, Lev Menand, and published by Columbia Global Reports. Uh, But for now, Lev, congratulations again, and thanks for joining us on Bookstack. Thank you so much. So that's it from us this week. Don't forget to check our website, AmericanPurpose.com, and to leave us a review on your podcast app. The show is produced by Damien Rusick. Do join us again next week. But for now, this is me, Richard Alder, saying thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.